Hello and welcome to Forgotten Cello Music, episode 39. This was supposed to be an episode about the cello in France in the 18th century, derived mostly from Vasilevsky's book, The Violin Cello and Its History. Well, in a way it still is, but I've narrowed it down to just one cellist composer. That is Jean-Baptiste Breval. Now, for the music that I've chosen, it comes from six sonatas in the intermediate level and from his cello treatise or cello method. Uh, I've done sonata number one in C major, an allegro, and rondo grazioso. All of these sonatas are only two movements, and they provide some really nice music learning opportunities. Every cellist that I know has played this sonata in C major thanks to Suzuki. Then sonata number four I decided to do, uh, this is in B flat major, only the aria, which is an andantino, it's a theme and variations. Very intriguing because you hardly ever run into variations in student material and uh, definitely not in sonatas in the cellist world. Very, very r rare stuff, so I had to put it in there. And then number six is D major, and I did both movements, Allegro and Rondo. And very often he does this, where he does an Allegro and then a Rondo. Now from his cello method, I went and just picked out these movements, something that sounded musical. This is my, was my aim, is that it sounded musical it shows what he intended with these works that he put specifically into his cello treaties. So from the key of C major we've got number 16, 22, and 23. From the key of G major 32 and 33. From the key of B minor 61. Key of uh, C minor number 96. From the key of A minor number 145. I will include the music in not really any order, um, but generally when I'm reading something, an excerpt, for example, from his cello method, I'll be doing, uh, inserting in the background the exercises from that. Let's get on to Jean-Baptiste Breval, and this is his entry that Joseph Vasilevsky gave him in his book, The Violin Cello and Its History from page 98. <laughs> of Jean-Baptiste Cupy, born in 1741. Breval was born in 1756 in the department of Ain. So quickly developed his talent that he was able very clearly to appear at the Concert Spirituel with brilliant success. He was a member of the Paris Opera Orchestra from 1781 to 1806. 
1796 followed his nomination as teacher of violoncello, playing at the conservatoire. From this, he was released in 1802, as the number of pupils at the institution was not large enough to keep him employed. Towards the end of his life, Breval retired to Chamomille, a village in the neighborhood of Lon. He shortly after died there at the end of 1825. Breval published for the violoncello seven concertos, five sets of duets, three sonatas with bass, and twelve airs variés. Besides these, he wrote two concertantes, quartets, trios, and an instruction book under the title Méthode Raisonnée de Violoncello, which appeared in Paris in 1804. His cello pieces were formerly much in request, but have long been obsolete. As a player, Revolve had a finished style, but in his rendering lacked force and energy. A note at the end of the book, Méthode Raisonnée de Violoncelle, Paris, 1804, that is, this violoncello school appeared in 1810 in London, translated into English by J. Pyle, under the title, New Instruction for the Violoncello Being a Complete Key to the Knowledge of That Instrument. Now, the public domain upload and IMSLP is titled Traité du Violoncelle. I guess that is translated as Treaties for the Violoncello. Some extracts from the cello treaties by Breval. He wrote not in overabundance in the treaties. There is far more music than there is writing. So it's not particularly uh, something that you would go to to learn cello from the absolute beginning. It's funny, at the beginning of the preface, he actually writes, The difficulty of making a good method for the cello has undoubtedly prevented several artists until now from emerging in this kind of storm that has become necessary. The small number of those which exist seem to me not to contain enough elementary principles and to walk by leaps instead of following a gradual march. I tried to make up for what I had been, uh, what had been obviated. Far from believing, however, that I have succeeded, I think, on the contrary, that I have left much to say to those who will take care of continuing a work for which this will become a preparation. Yes, a comment. It is very interesting and kind of funny that he actually mentions specifically that he wants to avoid leaping over fundamental or elementary principles. And in, again, in some ways, he doesn't leap over. He does do more of a step-by-step. -step. It just is not what we think of as a method in these days where we've had a hundred years worth of increasingly more detailed steps or smaller steps, uh, baby steps, if you will. And I'm not saying either one is bad. I'm actually saying that 
the way that methods are written these days are good in a way because you really do get the essence of any particular uh, technique so that you not, you're not left guessing at all about what to do. So if the student is responsive and the teacher is uh, able to get across that concept in a, in, a, in a clear and positive way, I think that goes much farther than the old way of just, okay, hold your bow right, get your fingers in the right place. Uh, your fingers are not in the right place. Get them in the right place and then try to show them either by coercion or or just simply moving their fingers without helping them understand what's going on. So yes, it's very interesting. Once you get to the point of being uh, uh, knowledgeable in cello technique, then I think when we go back, we're looking at it from a different lens. Of course we are. So it's, it's really uh, gleaning from the past to inform why we do things the way we do nowadays. And I think this is a great example of why we have gone the route of narrowing down the techniques, the principles that are presented in a lesson. Of the bow, he writes, The bow is unquestionably the working pen of all that constitutes the mechanism of the art of playing string instruments. Later, he says that habit teaches not to tighten the bow too much. It must be free in the hand, like the quill we use to write. It must also have a kind of modified elasticity according to the different functions, which are known by the expressions detached, removed, cast, etc. It is only by use that all these things are learned, and not by theory, which could only be long and diffuse. And I would just make a comment here about elasticity you know you s when I was learning cello I learned to hold it with a very stiff uh, thumb hand all all around everything was stiff and I squeezed the living daylights out of the frog and if it you know if it was soft at all there, there would have been an indentation in it and consequently I could not really pull a big sound out of my instrument because I was always squashing the strings. And it's interesting that all of the really good cellists out there have some sort of elasticity in their fingers, but there is one cellist in particular that I have always admired about his incredibly beautiful bow hand. And, you know, there's not a lot of cellists that play like that. And that's that's Steven Isserlis. I, I think his bow hand is 
really a work of art, the way he uses it. Now he goes on to talk about fingering. And uh, suffice it to say, there were all kinds of, uh, not rules, but every cellist out there seemed to have their own system of fingering and they advised their students to do the same. And he came along and said, well, why not do it according to what is comfortable on the cello instead of copying, emulating the violin? So the violin, as we know, has the fingering such, open one, two, three, open one, two, three, for a major scale. And the cellos apparently were doing the same thing, or similar things anyway, where it's not easily... Uh, let me put it this way. The violins are able to play a unison with their fourth finger. So if they put their fourth finger on the string below the upper string, those two notes produced are exactly the same, a unison. So a fourth finger on the D string is an A, just like the open A string. The cello can do it, but it's a, it's a huge stretch. And that kind of thing is, is usually not learned until you know advanced playing occurs. Uh, and he, Breval, said, well, let's do it so that the hand is comfortable. So a major scale would be open one, three, four, open one, three, four, for example. And then to play a unison, you'd have to shift up. And uh, that's what he's talking about here. Really quite remarkable that, uh, I don't know if he was the first one, but he certainly wrote it down. as we move on, um, he writes periodically uh, with each group. So the interesting thing about his treaties is that he, he makes big groups of technique. So he's got uh, uh, introductory type of, uh, what can you say, introductory type of exercises and then after that you get scales in all 24 keys and uh, after each scale you get a number of duets illustrating how it can be utilized how it can be played so you get the practice of doing the scale in your head and then you do the the work the the musical exercises to get along well. Following section, he wants to introduce higher positions, and in fact he's introducing the tenor clef in the next section. There's a, uh, there's a number of keys, but majority, the majority of the keys are like B-flat, D major, G major, C major, uh, nothing too crazy although in the first 170 exercises since he inter uh, since he plays uh, since he goes through all 24 keys of course you have to play some some Verdi and Wagner like key signatures in order to be able to get through the entire 170 exercises 
And after the uh, upper positions, or the the tenor clef position music, which are not upper positions, I misspoke. They are really solidly, solidly fourth position below. Uh, after that, then he does some upper position. He has arpeggios and a whole slew of variations on those arpeggios. Finally, at the end of the first instruction section before the exercises and music little duets come of the 24 keys, he shows us what the names of the strings are and then he says, I know of no other rule for learning to tune the instrument correctly other than to train the ear to grasp the ratio of two notes forming a fifth and nothing but habit can lead to this result. And I really like how he puts it because, yeah, in a way, that's that's really true. You need experience. You need to just try it out and, and figure out what it sounds like. observations on the method by Breval. Breval's cello method continues on like this for all subsequent sections. In between each section of instruction are exercises, duets, sonatas, and arpeggio variations. After the initial exercises come duets in all 24 keys, and each of those keys are preceded by the scale of that key. You know, it's really much like Broderip and Wilkinson and the Shetki 12 duets. They have prefatory remarks about accompanying and technique of playing. And this is what I found with Breval's method. Yes, it is a little bit more uh, advanced and gives you a more philosophical idea of what is to be expected. He's definitely not holding your hand, uh, figuring out, helping you figure out what, what to do, even though he says this is actually for people living in the country where you don't have access to a teacher. So whether people thought more insightfully back then, I, I guess that might be true. Uh, the music that you hear is simple in many regards, especially since it remains in first position in the first 170 exercises. Uh, but they really are demanding because of so many string crossings, and these are done in every conceivable permutation of fingering and bowing. There's, there's not... I think they weren't back in those days they really weren't concerned with micro steps baby steps maybe is a better way and f i would ha 
also comment that these exercises, you know, if you want to get a lot of just baroque practice in, you know, baroque exercises in, then doing things like this really puts you through your paces. It just, uh, if you go through even two, well, let's say even one duet from each of the 24 keys, you will certainly know how to get around the first position without problems. It will be quite easy by the time you get to the last number. And that's really what I find most intriguing and compelling about these forgotten cello methods, the, you know, the Broderip and Wilkinson, the Shecky duets, preface, preface, and the, this Breval method, this Breval treatise. I really believe that students don't need to go blindly into the Baroque era and figure it out as they go. They, they have, there are all these exercises available, and again, it's not like you're gonna go through all of them. I definitely realize that, uh, but they're there. I don't know why we don't utilize them. I mean, um, students rarely are going to play anything perfectly or anything with the, with the, let's say, correct interpretation. It's just not going to happen, so why not let students play? I, I just have a different take on things, pos uh, quite possibly because I felt like I was going blindly and I just couldn't figure out how to make things work very well and it was very frustrating. Now to conclude, let it be known that Breval was a seriously busy composer and cellist. He wrote 91 works according to IMSLP and this includes dozens of cello pieces like duets and um, sonatas and all sorts of things. He wrote string quartets, trios, symphonies. Uh, there's even a, a vocal work in there with orchestra. And of course, his cello method, which is really monumental in a way. I mean, 170 duets in all 24 keys and at least three to four numbers per key. And then after that, all of those other exercises, including sonatas and duos. Those, the exercises in our, for the arpeggios, there are even harmonic exercises and then thumb position exercises and exercises both for uh, double stops and double stops in thumb position. Lots and lots of just crazy things. If you go through them all, you will know your fingerboard. I mean, you'll know everything about it. Yes, it gets a little dry. I have to admit, it gets a little dry, and I, I'm not that excited about playing the entire thing. But I do think you can glean a lot of useful information, a lot of useful technique, um, specifically about this era in music. And... Why don't we do it? Hey, thanks a lot for listening. Thank you so much to my listeners. Uh, 
I hope you enjoy. If you have any comments, any observations, if you have any suggestions, uh, just write them in a comment. I'd, I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, you know, this kind of thing is not for everybody, and if you don't like it, that's that's fine too. Remember to play more forgotten cello music. See you in the next episode. ¶¶